To reasoning through the Bible with Glenn and Steve, we do verse by verse Bible study through the Word of God. We're in the book of Matthew. We're starting in Matthew chapter nine, and we're in a section where Matthew presents Jesus's credentials. In the last chapter, chapter eight, he did a series of miracles that shows that Jesus has charge over the spirit world. He has charge over the earth and all that's in it. He has charge over diseases. These are all sign miracles that demonstrate Jesus' power and authority. And so these things bring us into, like there was a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, that says this, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Mm. And so the Messiah was coming that would do all these things. And Matthew has grouped all these stories all in one spot to try to demonstrate for us that Jesus has all this power. Yeah. So we're seeing a wide gamut of the the different kinds of uh, infirmities and inflictions that the people have, that he's healing. And so, Steve, if you could read Matthew 9, start at verse 1 and go down through verse 8. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought him to a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So this is probably the same story that is presented over in Mark chapter 2, where these friends of this paralyzed man opened up the roof tiles because there were so many people in the house seeing Jesus, they couldn't get in. So they climb up on the roof, open the roof tiles, and let this man down through the the ceiling of this, Mm -hmm. this building. Probably the same story. The friends of the paralyzed man wanted to bring their friend to Jesus. Right. And so one question for all of us is, do we have a friend that we'd like to bring to Jesus? And the yeah. good news is that now we can bring Jesus to them in the form of Jesus' words and the life that Jesus gives to us. So it's easy to introduce our friends to Jesus nowadays. We don't have to physically carry them across town. What effect does the sin have on people? They bring this paralyzed man and the first thing that Jesus says is your sins are forgiven. Yeah. So there's a parallel here or at least some degree of causation between this man's physical illness and his sin. And Jesus is using this to demonstrate something about himself and his ability to forgive sins. Right. So he starts off, Jesus' answer was your sins are forgiven. What effect does sin have on people? Is it paralyzing? It sin? can be. 
I submit to you that once sin gets in us and on us and through us, it paralyzes us and prevents us from acting righteously and holy. There are some sins that really make us addicted to them. There's some sins that cause all kinds of separation. Sin causes many problems. And so at the end of verse 2, or at least the middle of verse 2, whose faith did Jesus see? He saw their faith, and that is what he's acting upon. He's saying, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic. So what is this faith? The faith is is that, one, that they know that he can heal this paralytic if he is willing to do it. And so they're demonstrating their faith by bringing to him and showing their faith in Jesus. And that's what he's acting on is their faith. Now, I've seen some Bible teachers take these passages here in the middle of Matthew, when it, and, there, and there's other ones we'll see here in a bit, where it talks about the faith of someone and the language here seems to be saying that the faith is what's causing the healing. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some Bible teachers, Bible preachers, take that and run with it and claim that today we can make the same no. type of situation where if we just exercise enough faith, right. we will always, therefore, one plus one equals two will always be healed. Now, is that true or is there a problem with that? No, there, there is a problem with that. Today, in, in those situations, they're taking those people to a human being. They're not taking them to somebody that can heal their affliction. In this case, Jesus could actually heal their affliction, and he's there. He's there in personal form to take them there. What you're describing is people today taking them to somebody else that claims that they could heal them or that they could be healed and that's just misplaced it worked here yeah. in matthew 8 and 9 because jesus was there yeah as as you just said yeah and these miracles are here as signs yes. the bible uses the term signs and wonders well a sign of what well a sign that jesus is who he claimed to be correct i could stand on a street corner and make all kinds of claims there's There's people in the mental institutions making all kinds of claims that say they're God, and we lock them up because they're insane. Right. But here, Jesus could heal the sick, calm the storm, raise the dead. And so these are signs of who Jesus is. Right. And yet it worked here simply because Jesus was there at the time. And so this was a special period when Jesus was on the earth. And he's doing sign miracles. If people could today could heal other people for just merely faith, then we would be irresponsible if we didn't immediately empty every hospital in the world. Right. And so we just don't have that degree of power today. This mm-hmm. is not what these passages are saying. Right. But nevertheless, here we do see the faith of the friends. They did bring their friend to Christ. And I submit if we bring our friends to Christ, then miracles will happen. We just can't guarantee physical healing every time because of the Right. So he saw their faith in verse 2, responded by forgiving the man's sins mm-hmm. and healing them. So it demonstrates that this miraculous healing was a sign that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. That's the point of here. He says, because you see that I healed this man's body, therefore you know I can forgive the sins. That's That was what he was saying. Yeah, and it was received as noted in verse 3, that he was blaspheming against God. 
Why would they say he was blasphemy? Because only God can forgive sins. And so he was obviously saying your sins are forgiven and thereby through that act declaring himself to be God. And so that's what they took out of it. This this guy's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. If he had not been God, yeah. he would have indeed been blaspheming. Yeah. But now that he demonstrates that he can heal this man, yeah. therefore he has the ability to forgive sins, therefore he is God. Right. Correct. And so that's the point here of this, this miracle. Yeah. And Jesus, he, he says, why are you thinking evil? In your heart. So it notes here, Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus so knows their thoughts. This isn't something that, that they were saying. He knows what their whole thought was behind it, them saying it. And that for them to say something like that after they've seen Jesus doing these attesting miracles to still say that you're blaspheming God shows that they had evil in their hearts. If Jesus could know their thoughts... What kind of a person is he? God. <laughs> he's not saying he's just, he's a good guesser. I mean, that's, no, that's not the, no, he's not like the, the only one who can yeah. know thoughts are God alone. Yeah. Our thoughts are open and naked before Christ. And I take it that's somewhat comforting simply because God already knows what I'm thinking. It tells me that when we meditate on ideas presented in the Bible, we meditate on good things, we meditate on holy things. We grow in fellowship with God. Yeah. On the other hand, if I hold on to evil thoughts, and all of us have evil thoughts that pop into our heads, if we hold on to those and we pet those and we covet those and we don't confess them immediately, we grieve a holy God because he does know what's going through our mind. In verse 5, he asks them a question. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Now, with both of those, there's something that happens. With a word, he says, get up and walk, and the paralyzed person gets up and actually walks. <laughs> right. And so, and he says, your sins are forgiven. So, in a way, they're saying you're, you claim to be God and you're blaspheming against God because you're forgiving him of his sins. But at the same time, he did it at the same time that he just showed the power yes. to be able to heal this paralytic. And so Jesus is saying, what are you out of your mind? You know, yeah. in order to think this way, as far as saying that, don't you see that this is an attesting sign? This is an attesting miracle yes. that I am God. And the people, it says in verse 8, were awestruck. Yeah. Is the term it gives. Yeah. So here's a question. If Jesus had healed his body but left the person in sin, would it have helped the man in the long run? No. 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 Short term, he would have been healed physically, but spiritually, no. So the true healing. Yes. The important healing. The yeah. one that has eternal consequences was the healing from sin. Right. And the physical healing is great, but the physical healing is for a season. Right. And the healing from the problem of sin mm -hmm. is the real issue here. And at the end of the story, verse 8, who ends up getting the glory? It says the crowd saw this, they were awestruck, and glorified who? God. Glorified God. Which is what should happen. 
I see people running around the countryside today having advertising, miracle healing services, whose picture is usually on the side. Their, yeah, their, their picture. own picture, yeah. Who usually gets yeah. all the attention? They do. They do. Yeah. And so I would strongly encourage our listeners, when you see these guys claiming to do miracles, who's getting the glory and who's getting the attention? In this case, God got the glory. Yeah. If the glory and the attention and all the praise is going towards some human being, then run, do not walk to the nearest exit. Right. Simply because it doesn't matter what kind of a show or what kind of quote-unquote miracles are happening. If the glory isn't going to God, if the attention is going rather to a human being, then it's, it's not of God. Back in chapter 7, when Jesus was talking about judging, and we had that discussion, and he says, basically, you need to get the log out of your eye before you, you go for the speck in somebody else's. This, in a way, is, is an example of that. The log in their eye was, was that here was Jesus healing this paralytic man, showing that he's God, and yet they want to take the speck out of his eye in regards to forgiveness of sins. Oh, he's blaspheming against God. And the big log in their eye was they weren't even recognizing him as God. And so that's kind of an example, possibly, of what he was talking about back in chapter 7. Or later, there's other instances where he heals on the Sabbath. Yeah. And that really got under their skin, was that he was doing this on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees didn't have any attention for the person that got healed Mm -hmm. or the idea that only God could do these miracles. Yeah. And then Matthew 9, 9 says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Mm. This is the calling of Matthew. He was also called Levi in the other Gospels. Mm -hmm. And being a tax collector... What kind of a job was that? Did people like you if you were a tax collector? No, because they viewed tax collectors. They weren't collecting tax for the temple. They were collecting tax for the Roman government. And the Romans were very oppressive. Yes. And so they were going and getting these taxes. Sometimes if they couldn't pay the tax, they would take property that they had they in had order the power to, of the Roman government and the power of the Roman soldiers to go get it if, if need be. Right. And they were they would assess what the tax was. They would assess what the value of the people had and assess what how much of that that they needed to give to the Roman government. So they were viewed as being traitors to their own people because they were assisting with the Roman government taking their own possessions so that the Roman government could continue to be there and occupy their land. And in many cases, probably were dishonest, skimming some off the top yes. to the power of the Roman government. Yep. So being a tax collector was a hated job Yep. because many of them abused their power. And the impression here is that Matthew made a sudden decision. Jesus was there, and he asked Matthew to follow him, and Matthew arose. There, there could have been a longer conversation, but when he writes this, the impression you get just from reading the narrative, is that Jesus is walking along and says, follow me, and and he does. Mm -hmm. If Matthew had not accepted the invitation at that moment, what could have happened? He could have gotten sidetracked and continued in his ways, 
Could have been his only opportunity. Yeah. I submit that, yes, God does draw us in. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit draws us in. God makes that clear in places in the Scripture. But I also submit that there are times when we resist it, Mm -hmm. and we could resist it to the point where God moves on. And in these depictions here, when Jesus is saying, follow me, especially in this one, it's to become part of that inner circle, right? right? To become part of that one that's going to be with him for those throughout his ministry. Now, Matthew gave up something here. He gave up a very lucrative job, a very yeah. job that made him a lot of money right. to follow this itinerant rabbi yep. that had no money. And so Matthew gave up some things here. If he would have stayed in the tax collector's job, mm-hmm. nobody would have ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. Nobody would have known it. He would yeah. have not gotten the wonderful opportunity to be part of Jesus, the Messiah's inner circle. Right. And so I submit that's true for all of us. We might not be one of the 12. We won't be one of the 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. But he is asking each and every one of us to follow him. And if so, he'll give us a job. And it'll have a job that'll have eternal consequences. Mm-hmm. And if we stay, oh, I'm going to hang on to my old job. Mm-hmm. my worldly job, then I'll be a nobody and yeah. nobody's ever heard of me. But yeah. if I follow Christ, it'll cost me something, but I'll have eternal rewards and be able to point to others that say, look, these are my treasures and the, the jewels in my crown. How many other tax collector books from the uh, early first century do we study uh, and, and have lived throughout time? I, I know of none. <laughs> Don't even know any of their names. Yeah. So it's possible that Jesus is asking us to follow him and the Holy Spirit is drawing us in. And today is the day I need to drop everything I'm doing and arise and follow him. Yeah. So, Steve, if you could start at verse 10 and go down through verse 14. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this passage here is a parallel of what's in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. And this they tell us that this was Matthew's house. The other Gospels tell us this was Matthew's house, and he made a great feast, and Matthew invited all of his friends. Yeah. Here in Matthew, Matthew's more humble, and he diminishes his role. Right. He only mentions in that last verse that he was a tax collector, mm-hmm. which is like an insult. He diminishes his own role and responsibility. He doesn't say, oh, I invited him to my large house and I gave him a large... No, he doesn't mention any of that. So this aligns with what we know about the gospel writers. It it is curious that he's... One of the first things that he's doing, though, is he's inviting these other friends of his that are fellow tax collectors, that are fellow people that are looked as being traitors to the deal... And he's introducing them to Jesus so that they can become followers of Jesus as well. Jesus has accepted him as a tax collector, asked him to come and follow him. And so now Matthew is 
you see that, hey, I've met this guy. You need to meet this guy too. Matthew was a changed man. Yeah. And when he followed Jesus, he was changed. And now he wanted his family and his friends to know about it. And, and that's not unlike when people come to Christ. Whenever they express faith in Christ, the first one of the first things that they want to do, they want to go out and tell their friends. Because why not? Friends and family. Why wouldn't you want your friends and family to have eternal life? Everybody I ever knew that really got right with God was a changed person. Yeah. Changed responsibilities, changed motivations. As one guy described it one time, he gave me a want transplant. Mm-hmm. Change my wants. And so when we get right with God, we're a changed person. We do things differently. Now, the the Pharisees were, they, were legalists. They weren't changed. They, they, they weren't changed. <laughs> they thought that the if the Bible gave a good law, then adding more to it would be better, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the Pharisees had said that being a sinner was wrong, so eating with a sinner was also wrong. Yeah, there you go. So is it acceptable, I ask you, is it acceptable to eat with tax gatherers and sinners? Yes. Yes, it you is. See, you, you see their logic, yeah. right? Yeah. Being a sinner is wrong, so yeah. now eating with a sinner is wrong. Right, yeah. That's what legalism does. Right. It adds to, if this action is unholy, then we not only want to not do that, but we don't even want to hang around people that do do that. Right. And so... I think that's a good example of legalism, and it's a problem in our day as much as it was back then. So again, Matthew invites his fellow friends to come and meet Jesus, whereas the approach of the Pharisees would say, oh, you're lucky that Jesus has asked you to come follow him, and you're lucky that you're fortunate that you're going to follow him, but hey, whatever you do, don't go tell your friends don't go tell the sinners, right? Because that's who they are. And so it's it, it again, is uh, not logical. So here's a question for all of us. When's the last time our church mm-hmm. had a meal mm-hmm. and specifically reached out to non-Christians mm-hmm. and invited them in to have a meal? Some churches do, mm-hmm. but I've seen some that don't. It's a holy yeah. huddle, and we don't do near enough outreach as what we should. Yeah. We have a problem with legalism today in our churches? Some Some, churches we do. Yep. Some we do. In verse 13, what does Jesus mean when he says, I desire compassion or mercy and not sacrifice? What's he talking about? Well, he's he's quoting from an Old Testament verse here, what we would call Old Testament, but he's he's from their Hebrew Bible that they had, scripture that they had. But it's He's quoting Hosea 6.6. Yeah. It has that exact phrase in it. Yeah, which is a feeling of God. I say feeling. It's an approach of God of that sacrifice is not really what he's interested in. He's interested in people themselves, and he wants people to worship him. He wants people to glorify him. He wants people to come to him, all of things which are of a compassionate nature, and that the sacrifices themselves are just not something that is long-term. A sacrifice in this context, again, he's talking to legalists, right, rule keepers. And so a sacrifice in that context would be forcing myself to do fewer and fewer things. Mm. That's sacrifice. If if I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, Mm. then I'm holy. If I don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, that's sacrifice. And what he's saying here is, I'm not interested in that and in seeing how many things you're not going to do. 
how much you're going to sacrifice. Rather, I'm interested in how much mercy you have. Mercy would be reaching out to sinners to help them learn about God. Mercy would be looking around you to the people that are in need, the single moms or the poor people or people like that that I could reach out to and help. And then when they ask me, why are you doing this? You could say, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Jesus was talking to scribes that knew the words of the Old Testament, but they didn't grasp the meaning correctly. They had probably memorized that verse he quoted to them. They knew that verse. Yeah. But he says, look, here's the important parts of it. They didn't grasp the correct meaning or application for it. He tells them to go and learn what this means and gives them a verse they already knew. Yeah. And then in, in the middle of verse 13, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Yeah. He was focused on helping sinners, not people that thought they were already righteous. Right. And in verse 12, he says, those who are sick need a physician. That reminds me of this. He's talking about people who are separated from God due to sin, Mm -hmm. but need to be reconciled. The Bible uses several ways of describing the state of a lost person. One of the ways our Calvinist and Reformed brothers and sisters focus on the phrase dead in trespasses and sins. And it does teach that. The Bible clearly teaches that. Mm -hmm. It also teaches things like here, where it talks about those who are sick yeah. in need of a physician. And so there's a handful of these. And at some point, Steve, will do a separate session someday on all of these various ways of that the Bible talks about the state of a lost person. Right. But just mention it here because this is one of them. Mm-hmm. One of the ways it describes the lost person is a sick person mm-hmm. who is in need of a doctor. Yeah. Can a sick person heal themselves? No. No. They will stay sick. They won't get well. They need a physician. Who is the great physician? Jesus is. And so that's probably a good spot here to pull it to the curb. Any other things you got, Steve, on this section? I guess there is this one is that, again, going back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that he gives, Jesus continues to do this. That's not the only place that he said, you have heard one thing, but I say, here's another example of that. So this was something, a pattern of his, as well as he went and taught to say, you're not getting the purpose of what the scripture is telling you. You need to think about it and you need to to learn what it actually is saying. So this, this would be another example of that. Right. So we are in really rich ground here with these teachings of Jesus. And we'll continue as we go through the Bible, verse by verse, here on Reasoning Through the Bible.